Chapter 12 of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de saint Amand, translated by Elizabeth G. Martin. Chapter 12. The Declaration of War. The wave of anarchy constantly rose higher, but the optimists, sheltering themselves, like Pétion in a beatific calm, obstinately closed their eyes and would not see it abroad and at home there was such a series of shocks and agitations of struggles and emotions perils and troubles things hurried on so fast and the scene of the drama was so varied and so violent that what happened to-day was forgotten by the morrow the noise of the fiat of the swiss of chateauvieux had hardly ceased when the shouts of the multitude were heard saluting louis the sixteenth who had just declared war on Austria. In reality, the king did not desire war, but the bellicose current had become irresistible. The court of Vienna had shown itself intractable. It forbade the princess who owned possessions in Lorraine and Alsace to receive the indemnities offered by France in exchange for their feudal rights and threatened to have the diet of ratisbonne annul any private treaties they might conclude concerning them the electors of trevi cologne and mienz undisguisedly favoured the levelling of troops by the immigrant princes and even paid subsidies towards their support they refused to recognise the official ambassadors of louis the sixteenth while recognizing the penipotentiaries of these princes there was talk of holding a congress at ach la chapelle for the purposes of intimidating the national assembly the successor of emperor leopold francis the second who before his election to the empire had assumed the title of king of hungary and bohemia displayed extremely martial sentiments austria which had sent forty thousand men to the low countries and twenty thousand to the rhine had just signed a treaty of alliance with prussia to put an end to the troubles in france dumouriez urgently demanded the court of vienna to explain itself it finally sent the french ambassador marquis de noailles a dry curt and formal note naming the only conditions on which peace could be preserved these were the re-establishment of the french monarchy on the basis of the royal declaration of june twenty three seventeen eighty nine and consequently the restoration of the nobility and clergy as orders the restitution of church property the return of alsace to the german princes with all their sovereign and feudal rights and finally 
the surrender of avignon and the county of venation to the holy see in truth says dumouriez in his memoirs if the viennese minister had slept through the entire thirty-three months that had elapsed since the royal seance and had dictated this note on awakening without knowledge of what had happened he could not have proposed conditions more incongruous with the progress of the revolution the new social compact was founded on the abolition of the orders and the equality of all citizens the financial system which alone could prevent bankruptcy was founded on the creation of assignats the assignats were hypothecated on the property of the clergy now become the property of the nation and the greater part of which had been already sold the nation therefore could not accept these conditions except by violating its constitution destroying property ruining its purchasers annulling its assignats and declaring bankruptcy could so humiliating an obedience be expected from a great nation proud of having conquered its liberty and that for the sake of placing itself once more under the yoke of nobles who having abandoned their king himself now threatened to re-enter their country with sword and flame and every scourge of vengeance the entire national assembly reasoned in the same way as dumouriez a cry for war arose on all sides the girondins saw in it the indispensable consecration of the revolution the fluents hoped that besides proving credible to the government it would accomplish the additional end of drawing away from paris and the other great cities a multitude of turbulent men who for lack of anything else to do were disturbing public order certain reactionists stifling the sentiment of patriotism in their hearts were equally anxious for war in the secret hope that it would prove disastrous for the french army and result in the re-establishment of the old regime on the other hand there were good citizens inclined to optimism and judging others by themselves who thought that when confronted with an enemy all intestine dissensions would vanish as by enchantment and that the new constitution hallowed by victory and glory would ensure the country a most brilliant destiny ministers were unanimous and enthusiasm universal even if he had so desired louis the sixteenth could no longer resist it on april twentieth seventeen ninety two he went to the assembly the hall was filled with a crowd which comprehended the importance and solemnity of the act about to be accomplished according to dumouriez the king was very majestic i come he said in accordance with the terms of the constitution formally to propose war against the king of hungary and bohemia he afterwards paid the greatest attention to the reports of the minister of foreign affairs and seemed by the notions of his head and hands to approve it in every respect he returned to the tuileries amidst great acclamations war was unanimously decided on and dumouriez went to the diplomatic committee in order to draw up the declaration 
at ten in the evening the decree was brought in and carried to the king who sanctioned it at once thus commenced that gigantic war which france was to wage against all europe and which ended twenty-three years later in the disaster of waterloo how many battles what suffering and what a prodigious shedding of blood and to attain what end simply the point of departure that is to say in the political order to constitutional monarchy and in territory to the boundaries of seventeen ninety two what to have filled europe with noise and renown to have carried the standards of france from east to west from north to south to have camped victoriously in brussels milan venice rome naples cairo berlin madrid vienna moscow to have enlarged the borders of valor heroism and self-sacrifice in order to arrive after so many efforts just at the spot where the strife began ah how short-sighted is human wisdom how deceitful the provisions of mortal man how sterile the agitations of republics and monarchs assuredly said dumouriez if the emperor and the king of prussia could have foreseen that france was able to withstand all europe they would not have meddled in her domestic quarrels they would have treated the emigres not with confidence but compassion they would have responded frankly and without trickery to the minister's negotiation the revolution would have been accomplished without cruelties europe would have remained at peace and france would be happy what sadness underlies all history and what disproportion there is between man's sacrifice and their results the revolution was achieved all necessary liberties had been conquered privileges existed no longer animated by excellent intentions louis the sixteenth would have been the best of constitutional sovereigns had his subjects possessed wisdom why this long misunderstanding between him and his people why on one side the insensate attitude of the emigres whose task seemed to be to justify the revolutionists and why on the other those savage passions which seemed trying to justify the wrathful recriminations of koblensk why that untimely intervention of austria which irritated french national sentiment and gave a political pretext to the inexcusable violence cruelty and crime inextricable confusion of false situations multitudes asked themselves in what direction right and duty lay a large contingent of french nobility heartily desired the success of foreign armies at koblensk a gathering of twenty-two thousand gentlemen hastened to the side of the seven bourbon princes the comte de provence the comte de troyes and the duc de berry and the duc de angeline and the prince de conde the duc de bourbon and the duc d'engine as m de lamartine has said infidelity to the country called itself fidelity to the king desertion called itself honor fealty to the throne was the religion of the french nobility 
to them the sovereignty of the people seemed an insolent dogma against which it was necessary to draw the sword under penalty of sharing the crime there was real devotion in the act by which these men young and old abandoned their rank in the army and the ties of country and family and rushed into a foreign land to defend the white flag as common soldiers their country symbolized duty for the patriots to the emigres duty meant the throne one of these parties deceived itself concerning its duty but both of them believed they were performing it as to the unfortunate louis the sixteenth he suffered cruelly it was like death to him to declare war against his nephew and at certain moments he felt that this austrian army against which his troops contended might yet be his last resource he could not even flatter himself that the sacrifice he had made of his sympathies and family feelings would be repaid by the love and confidence of his people we have no difficulty nowadays in comprehending says m geoffroy very justly what pure patriotism there was in that young army of seventeen ninety two which represented new france but this army formed in independence of the old regiments was none the less in the eyes of the queen a veritable army of sedition she thought of it as composed of the victors of the bastille those whom mirabeau styled the greatest scoundrels of paris the very rabble who came to versailles on the sixth of october she believed they could be crushed by the first attack of the frontier and that france and paris would be rid of them the following reflection by m geoffroy is very judicious marie antoinette committed a double error but honest men who had not the same overpowering motives as she have committed it likewise i do not allude merely to those frenchmen who after april the twentieth remained in the ranks of the immigration and who apparently did not suppose themselves to be betraying the true interests of their country but look at m de Bouille. he even accepted a command in the foreign army under gustavius the third and yet m de Bouille is an honest man who knows france and loves her ardently observe in his memoirs his involuntary pride in our success and how he shrugs his shoulders at the bluster of the prussian officers it is not yet well understood what vigor enthusiasm and martial ardor animated that brave national army which according to the foreigners was but a band of rioters but which was suddenly to appear on the battlefield as a people of heroes honor took refuge in the camps it was there that men whom the jacobin club enraged and who had no consolation for their patriotic grief but the virile emotions of combat went to fight and die why did not louis the sixteenth call to mind that he was the commander-in-chief of the army ah had he been a soldier had he been accustomed to wear a uniform to command and above all to speak to his troops how quickly he would have come to the end of his difficulties count de vaublanc had good reason to say 
anything can be done with frenchmen if one knows how to animate and impress them with vehement ardor otherwise nothing need be expected never did a prince merit better the eternal rewards promised by religion to the true christian and yet his example should forever teach kings that their conduct must be totally different from his lacking the courage which acts the most virtuous king cannot achieve his own safety why did not louis the sixteenth go amongst his soldiers victory would have given him a sceptre and a crown while he still retained his sword why did he leave it in the scabbard why did he not remember that it might launch thunderbolts on the contrary louis the sixteenth hesitates fumbles temporizes count de vaublanc says again this wretched time proves thoroughly that finesse is the most detestable means of conducting great affairs nothing but finesse was opposed to the impetuous attacks of the jacobins all was dissimulation conversation writings measures authority acted only by crooked ways with a thousand means of safety people were lost because they pushed prudence to excess and extreme prudence always degenerates into despicable means i was in every great crisis of the revolution and i have always seen the same faults produce the same misfortunes it is the same thing in revolution as in war no matter how prudent a general may be he must take some risk otherwise it would be impossible to gain a single battle ah how true and how striking is that great saying of Bousset, when god wills to overthrow empires all is feeble and irregular in their designs undecided and fickle louis the sixteenth does not even know whether to desire the success or the failure of the austrian army he has no plan no steadiness of purpose the secret mission he gives to Mallette de poin is a fresh proof of the irresolution of his character and his policy what is it he asks to have the powers declare that they are making war against an anti-social faction and not the french nation that they are undertaking the defence of legitimate governments and of peoples against anarchy that they will treat only with the king that they should demand perfect liberty for him that they convoke a congress to which the emigres may be admitted as complainants and where the general scheme of claims and reclamations shall be negotiated under the auspices and the guarantee of the great courts of europe hesitating between austria and his own kingdom the unhappy monarch attempts to continue that equivocal system that seesaw policy in which he has succeeded so ill and which constrains him to dissimulation that last resource of the feeble sent to germany with instructions written by louis the sixteenth with his own hand mallette de poin recommends the sovereigns to be cautious in advancing into france to observe the greatest prudence in dealing with the inhabitants of the invaded provinces and to precede their arrival by a manifesto in which they declare conciliatory and pacific intentions 
it follows that official ministers of the king did not possess his confidence and were not the interpreters of his mind a sort of occult and mysterious government existed with a diplomacy secret funds and agents abroad and at home such a system lacking all grandeur and sincerity could accomplish nothing but catastrophes meanwhile the war had begun under the most painful conditions the invasion of belgium arranged for the end of april failed miserably near mons byron's troops took to flight threatening to fire on their officers and crying we are betrayed at lille general theobald delon was massacred by his own soldiers such news caused indescribable emotions in paris popular mistrust and irritation reached their height the different parties hurled reproaches and accusations in each other's face the girondins finding the national guard too conservative demanded pikes for the men of the faubourgs who had no guns the saint colettes enlisted the army of the assassins was organized the only thing left to do before giving the signal for a riot was to obtain from the king a last concession the disbanding of his guard End of chapter twelve